discovered. And uh, he explains in my book how this would work to create zero gravity, a zero gravity bubble. And he feels very strongly that this would open time travel as much as, as well as uh, warping space. So uh, I don't know, it may take us, but uh, you can explain the different kinds of ETs that people say are from one bunch is from this planet, the Zetas look this way, and the the uh, Nordics look that way, whatever planet they're supposed to be from. Tonight, we discover the overlooked evidence that UFO occupants are time-traveling humans. Have aliens visited Earth, and have we missed a huge piece of the UFO puzzle? Diane Tessum is in the studio, and we're discussing future humans and the UFOs. Time for new thinking. That and more, coming right up on My Alien Life. My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. guest tonight is the founder and director of the Star Network Cat Sanctuary and Wildlife Refuge in Iowa, and she has a new book. It's out February 1st and called Future Humans and the UFOs. Diane Tessman, thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Oh, I'm pleased to be here. It's great to have you. The first thing I want to talk about is I I looked you up on Flying Disc Press and um, I want to talk about the cover of your new book. Is that a beautiful piece of artwork or what? It's amazing. Oh, it is. It was done by a uh, graphic artist in Poland. I think he does uh, cartoon or works for a, uh, you know, a cartoon studio, uh, and then does this. Uh, Phil Mantle employs him for book covers, and I liked it because he's a big Star Trek fan, original Star Trek, and so am I, of course. So we hit it right off, and we oh, we designed the. Uh, insignias on the the two uh, UFO occupants uniforms <laughs> does have does have essence of Star Trek for sure and and um, it, yeah, looks, it, <laughs> it looks amazing on the flying disc press website and I love it very much so um, it's well, nice to well, have good. nice to have you on so tell me about this book and and what I want to know is um, I think that uh, um, this isn't your first book, I know. So tell me, what is it about aliens and UFOs that got you writing again? And um, 
and uh, discovering the possibility that they could be time travelers. Uh, I've been writing all along, but I haven't done a book since 2013. Um, this premise is one that I've always favored. Uh, I was a field investigator with APRO, the old Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, and also a state section director with MUFON back in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, so I always investigated objectively and scientifically, but within myself, I've always favored the theory that there are, uh, the UFO occupants may be time travelers um, as well, perhaps as ETs. Uh, but if not ETs, I mean, I, I know that the galaxy and the universe is full of advanced ET races, um, but I'm not sure they come here. I, they probably do as well, so I'm not trying to go to war and have an ET versus time traveler. <laughs> but I think that the majority of UFO occupants are uh, are children's children's children. Right. And on your bio in um, Amazon, you mentioned Dr. Michael Masters, and, and he and I are kind of neighbors in the high mountains of Montana, and he's been on the show before. Have you studied his work and read his book? Uh, yes, I have, and his book uh, came out before mine, and uh, his is so splendidly academic. Uh, mine covers a bit more uh, different topics like abductions, and uh, he's so good on the fact that evolution uh, tends to go in the direction that the aliens, quote-unquote aliens, look like the small humans and the the atrophied muscles and all of that. So yes, I'm, I'm familiar with all of his work and he's got a chapter in my book. So that works out nicely. Very cool. Yeah. He, he was on. And of course, um, if you've ever listened to me, I've had, I come from an, an anthropology background. So to me, that's very interesting. Yes. I, uh, when I was four and five years old, I had, uh, two UFO abductions and I was actually told that uh, they said, we're from your future. Now, that's one of the few things I remember ab about them. I went, uh, I had hypnotic regression with Dr. Sprinkle, the famous Dr. Sprinkle that worked with a lot of uh, abductees. Right. Uh, but uh, I have always remembered consciously that it got into my mind, we are from your future. And I know, you know, they could have been lying, but uh, I've lived with it since I was four or five years old. And then when I was nine, I noticed um, a scar on the outside of my uh, lip between my my nose. That the there's a membrane membrane inside your your mouth between your nose and your gum, the upper part of your teeth. Well, mine, eventually I realized mine was missing. I started with the very thin laser-like scar on the outside. And so that always bugged me. I got interested in UFOs, read a lot of Brad Steiger's early books, and ironically, nicely became friends with him and Sherry much later in life. But I uh, had my daughter taught school. For 11 years, I worked with ESL children. Many of them had uh, just come over from 
Southeast Asia. It was in the days of uh, the end of the Vietnam War. And the school I worked at in Florida uh, wasn't doing anything with them. They just sat there. They had just arrived, traumatized. Many of them had seen, I found out later, had seen bodies floating in the river. And their parents had been on the losing side. And they didn't speak any English and had uh, entered the school older than, uh, because they were shorter than most uh, Americans, they entered uh, school when they were actually older than first grade. Because I, So that was all a great experience. Uh, but eventually, my teaching career, I just, I taught for 11 years, but I'm not a born teacher. I'm a writer and uh, a little bit more haunted by my childhood experiences than to spend my life as a very um, sort of conforming teacher. Um, so uh, then I, I had been doing the, the uh, investigations with MUFON and APRO and all, uh, but then I went into writing a newsletter and beginning to, well, I don't call it channel, I call it a shared consciousness that I begin to feel very sharply in my 30s, and I suppose I'd always kind of felt it. Uh, but I made it uh, a uh, real thing to myself rather than just kind of ignoring it or wondering. Um, and so I started uh, my own newsletters, which are still going, and uh, they're more along the, the spiritual line, um, more for the entire species than for individuals. I never considered myself a psychic. But we had early, uh, many years ago, warned of global climate chaos and uh, the abuse of Mother Earth and things like that, like Whitley Strieber did with the superstorm predictions. And so uh, from then on, I've written um, five books. Uh, this will be my sixth. And um, I've, with this one, I've gone more scientific speculation, which I've done in recent years. I still do the, the spiritual writing and, and feeling as well, but I feel like it's time that the UFO community took this into consideration on a nuts and bolts basis that that may be us in those flying machines. <laughs> Interesting. Um, you find out uh, that you're missing some tissue, and obviously, I don't know when that was and how old you were, but when was that? In when was that period of your life, and and how did it disappear? How do you speculate that it disappeared, and, and why? Um, it would have disappeared. Well, I had uh, when I was three and four. I was uh, a very thin, kind of sickly child. I had. Uh, uh, strep throat quite often, heavy nosebleeds. And I think today I might have been tested for childhood leukemia. The abductions I have researched back and placed at the time I was four and a second one probably when I was five. And by the time I was five and a half, I was bouncing off the chandeliers and did a lot of acrobats and just full of energy and became very healthy, which has remained with me. So um, 
the membrane was probably taken during the abductions, but I did ask my parents. They were very doting, loving parents. Um, you know, did I hit my mouth on my tricycle? Um, I uh, researched it and found that um, uh, mountain biking sometimes hits people hit their mouths. And uh, no, I never did mountain biking. I did have a tricep. They said they didn't know what happened. They were totally flabbergasted. And um, I thought maybe uh, I think that membrane is slit sometimes to make a, a, it easier for a newborn to suckle. But that they didn't think that happened. And um, so I, I researched it up and down. And uh, even if the missing membrane has nothing to do with my UFO experiences. I still have those experiences, but uh, I do think it's kind of an interesting piece of evidence. Bud Hopkins was interested in putting me in missing time when he was doing uh, scars and tissue taking and whatnot um, of abductees, but I decided against it. I just didn't want to expose myself that much at that time. I was still teaching school. So uh, I did, I first noticed when I was nine years old and played around with makeup sort of for the first time, I noticed the scar on the outside of my mouth, but it took years to realize it was actually, you don't know what you're missing until you miss it, that it was a, a missing membrane. So that's not unusual for people to um, suffer some kind of, um, trauma like that. And, and obviously there had to been some trauma somewhere, but it's so common for people not to have a memory of that or even memory or have a memory of the pain of that. So how do you account for that? Right. I can't really, except that I was very young and, um, uh, I don't know when it happened. Um, my memory that I remember consciously because I remembered a lot more under regression, but not the membrane part of it. Still haven't uh, had any recollection of that. But the part that I do remember consciously is sitting on an earth-like bench, a park bench, and this uh, man, a, a human, sitting about a foot away from me and talking to me, possibly in my, I don't know if it was telepathy or talking, and the only thing that made him not human, possibly, were um, his amber-colored eyes that were almost translucent. And, um, uh, you know, was he artificial intelligence there? Because that makes you think of Data from Star Trek. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, my spidey sense told me he was human. I didn't have any fear and maybe they gave me something to for my fear. It was kind of a leave it to me to have an oddball abduction <laughs> because I I ended up feeling worried about him. I I uh, you know maybe it was Stockholm syndrome, but um, it, I felt that he gave me something that he would then not have himself. Gave me uh, a view, um, I guess, a shared consciousness. And I didn't know what would happen to him. But I was very young. I was, um, 
a smart kid and kind of an observer. I wasn't, uh, uh, I was just very entranced by the whole thing, quite frankly, and spent my life, it changed my life. Um, And I don't have any regrets. (laughs) One thing I want to ask you is, um, you know, we, I've had a lot of people on the show and, and definitely they talk about the, the link to humans and, um, extraterrestrials by DNA, um, and, and possibly extraterrestrial need for DNA samples In your research, what would be the most likelihood and why would, uh, extraterrestrials need our DNA? I don't think they would. That's my, <laughs> I think humans might. In the future. Right. I don't think extraterrestrials, as Mike Masters has probably mentioned, could use it. Their DNA, if they even have what we would consider DNA, uh, would be so different. Probably we're more like an earthworm than we are an ET because uh, all life forms on Earth, I believe, have a similar formula for DNA. That isn't my field of expertise, but... um, no, I, I think uh, future humans might have several reasons for wanting it. Um, the sperm level is down in human males and is, is still falling. Um, possibly we've contaminated the earth enough that we're not as healthy, as vigorous as we were. So many animals aren't. Uh, they might have had DNA damage in deep space travel, or there might have been a nuclear war that hasn't happened yet. Uh, or perhaps, as Mike tends to say, this is just the way uh, evolution is going. Not in 250 years, they would probably still look like us. But once you get the key to time travel, there would be many phases of future humans. Some might be a million years ahead or 500,000 years ahead. And uh, here we sit at our computers, our muscles wasting away. Um, And uh, I guess in autopsies like uh, Leonard Stringfield's crash retrieval autopsies, uh, the military, all the Wright-Patterson stuff, it's in my book. Um, they found that um, uh, uh, what was I? There's a cat on my table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see the autopsies. Edit, edit. Um, that uh, well, that they were uh, very human. Uh, one woman, one body had a. Uh, one of the alien bodies had breasts, and those were basically small humans that Leonard Stringfield reported on from the uh, saucer crashes that ended up at Wright-Patterson, the bodies that were taken to uh, Wright-Patterson. They weren't alien. They were what we, might, what we used to call midgets, but apparently that's become politically incorrect, uh, dwarfs. Uh, small and perhaps sometimes they wear goggles or something and have the, you know, the big black eyes. But in the fifties and sixties, they're uh, like in Travis Walton's 
uh, mid seventies, uh, or 1972, I think, uh, the aliens, one kind of alien he saw were simply seen to be small humans that with a few differences. And then the golden humans, as he called them, that were the, the proper size, the being I met was much like a golden human, much like Travis's description of golden humans. And I think I would agree with you, and and I did with Mike as well. That um, you know that what we see and what we perceive possibly is as extraterrestrials, and what I was getting at are so incredibly like us, and have so sim- so many similarities. It would seem unlikely that you know some other some other um, race of 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 organism would would evolve those same types of uh, morphological characteristics that that we have and and that we use. Exactly. And and the other thing is, I think that um, people tend to, if they disagree with me, they tend to um, have the school of thought that possibly, um, you know, there's, there's some hybridization going on, which, which, you know, that's, that's for another time and place. But um, again, you know, any idea how how far into the future that uh, you know what we're seeing and what people are experiencing and and what people have 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 seen in the past and presently? How far into the future do you think that we would look like that? I don't really have any idea of exactly how far. Um, I do think that at the rate our science is going, I think we're the forefathers and foremothers of uh, a huge, we, there's a huge explosion in science and technology right now. We may be backward spiritually, but we're really, uh, it seems like five years is now equal to 200 years of progress, I read somewhere. Right. So, the quickening, uh, right? Yeah. So to perhaps in 75 years, we'll get the, the time travel formula once the quantum computers are really online. Because uh, they're, they're online, but they're just being developed. But maybe in 50 years, uh, maybe Jack Sarfati's formula is right. Uh, it's in my book, and maybe it's wrong. But uh, with the metamaterials and uh, apparently... All sorts of exotic materials are being discovered, and uh, he explains in my book how this would work to create zero gravity, a zero gravity bubble, and he feels very strongly that this would open time travel as much as, as well as uh, warping space. So, uh, I don't know. It may take us, but... Uh, you can explain the different kinds of ETs that people say are from one bunch is from this planet. The Zetas look this way and the, the uh, Nordics look that way, whatever planet they're supposed to be from. But to come across the vast distances of space and to hang around Earth probably for millennia, uh, at least since 1947, I think space explorers would probably have traveled on. Um, like Jack Vallée says in the book, um, they uh, 
would probably maybe have 5,000 landings over a year, or if not landings, uh, 5,000 uh, missions and look over the land and the, the life forms and the oceans. And then it seems ETs would travel on. But this phenomenon seems to belong here. Right. Uh, it's, it's been here for probably thousands of years. And I think when Kenneth Arnold saw the, uh, the flying saucers in 1947, we, we jumped to the ET conclusion because it's both frightening and exciting. You get a, a shot of adrenaline when you think of, of uh, actual uh, alien, of an extraterrestrial. Uh, but it's not logical for a number of reasons. And, of course, people think that aliens look like, we get to assuming they look like actors on movies that play aliens. But those are humans. But we just, we haven't thought it through very thoroughly. We leap to that alien conclusion too quickly. And I think that um, when people are listening to you and I talk about this right now, it should be noted that, um, and I, I feel this about you and just knowing you briefly and, and reading about you, that you are a fairly objective person. And I wouldn't say that your mind is 100% made up if somebody had some good data that they'd like to share with you and um, it looked reasonable, right? Right. Yeah, right. Um, to me, this connects, the, the, <clears throat> the dots connect so well with this uh, theory, but I'm open. Uh, if it turns out otherwise, that's okay with me. Um, I still think <laughs> we need to I think we need to connect to ourselves again as a species. We're, we're in the doldrums right now. We've taken three steps backwards and, and one step forward. <laughs> um, and we don't even, a lot of us think we won't survive. So uh, we need, maybe we won't. <clears throat> but uh, we're really not going to if we don't have any any pride, any like uh, Buzz and, and Neil on the moon. Everybody in the world looked at that in, on their TV screens. And uh, we need more of that. So that's really my goal, almost more than proving the future human premise. If we had the, if we, let's, um, let's assume that in the future we do have the technology of time travel and um, it would make sense to me that it, that it would be used and be used frequently. How can we use time travel and not alter the future or the past? Ah, well, <laughs> there's uh, on, in chapter five of my book, I've got uh, several different theories. Uh, one Jack Sarfati uh, taught me about, which is the Nor uh, Novikov principle of self-determination, which means you can't really change the future anyway. So uh, everybody always says, oh, you can't, you don't want to come back and kill your grandfather or yourself or your father or your mother or whatever the, and uh, in physics, it is believed that couldn't happen, that whatever happens is, is in the reality that you were in. Uh, the many worlds theory says 
there are alternate uh, alternate realities can be created by different actions. But Novikov says that regardless, that isn't you. If you take an alternate path, that isn't the you that is still uh, on the same in the same reality he always was. So it gets very gets very complicated and um i don't pretend to be a physicist uh mike is <laughs> mike but um it's something to aspire to you know <laughs> I, I mean if you if you're actually going to get into physics you you really need to get into physics because it, it's well, co- it's quite involved i understand <laughs> it is believe me i i didn't listening to an email chain of physicists that, that Jack Sarfati has, and I just have to laugh. They're all a bit like Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory, but right. um, they think maybe the, you know, the good old arrow of time that always, I remember from science class, it always goes forward. Well, now they say maybe it doesn't. Uh, there is uh, a scientist named uh, Julian Barber who said, that it may be more like an event lands in a pond and then the arrows of times go out in different directions or at least go backwards and forwards. That maybe the arrow of time, and then there's retro causality. And I, I think that those who visit us are probably a military group or a quasi-military group. Uh, possibly they're college students on a field trip to go study the ancestor, but it might be something more uh, military-like that, well, they belong to Earth. They may be patrolling our skies. Uh, But as far as traveling back in time, um, this is something they do because humans do it. Uh, Maybe they don't have to. But I think they may hold a bit of a grudge toward ancestors for using nuclear energy so flagrantly. Uh, We've got radioactive waste buried that will still be radioactive in a thousand or what is it? A hundred thousand years. Yeah, that's a, that's a uh, optimistic (laughs) timetable. I think, you know, it it could be forever feasibly, you know, and, and, and if we keep messing with it, it, it could be forever. And I know there's a, uh, uh, I think it's a Danish film that says, you know, in, uh, in maybe 500,000 years, beings will be walking on Earth. They'll discover these buried things. And they may think, oh, like we thought about the Egyptian ruins. Oh, well, let's open this. And, and maybe it's a time capsule. Right. <laughs> so It's a time capsule, all right. <laughs> But I think probably the the UFO occupants are aware of uh, we've of that and the fact that all our leaking waste and the fact that we've contaminated the oceans with plastic and and pollutants. We've exploited the land. We've cut down the trees so the cattle can graze. So we can have Big Macs. We've really been an irresponsible. Species, I suppose, the whole time, but we didn't have technology like we've had for the last hundred years or, or less. So 
they may, the future humans, we may have caused them a hell of a lot of problems. And so therefore, if they come back in uh, College 101 to study us um, in the abductions, the catch and release or whatever, perhaps they don't feel so guilty. And humans would do that anyway. We're not perfect and neither are they. We'd abduct another human. Of course we would if we were studying something and it was okay by our society. Do you think that um, our use of uh, anything, anything nuclear, anything radioactive, is is a, is a primitive activity? Do you think in the future we're gonna we're gonna steer away from that and use something more practical that doesn't destroy us physically and our planet? I do because I think that as the climate grows worse, we've placed even uh, nuclear plants just for electrical power on oceans, on rivers, right next to, because we, they need the water. Look at Fukushima. Isn't that uh, amazing? Yeah. Wow. And it's been, uh, you know, for the U.S. to have dropped those two bombs in the first place, um, it's an unimaginable, I mean, I've been scared of it ever since, I can remember understanding English, uh, you know, duck under our desk, as if that would help. It's a, it's a nightmare. Um, and, of course, we humans just kept going with it. Um, the people that, uh, wasn't it, uh, well, certainly Einstein, but <clears throat> was it von Braun or uh, regretted ever having, or Oppenheimer, I get all those, yeah. I think it's all of the above, yeah. All of the above felt terrible that they had advanced the discovery of it. Yeah, there's that. It's bad news, and there's so many other sources of energy, including probably free energy. I'm not a big expert on Tesla, but uh, it seems, you know, it makes sense that the way it's explained so, yes, um, the nuclear, they showed up, the UFOs showed up in the modern era in 40, 45, 47. And I think that was probably why they picked up activity. In, in our exchange of emails, there was something that really blew my mind because um, it literally not or hit not close to my home, but really at my home. And I hope I kind of want to blow your mind along with me as I talk about this, but, uh, you had, you'd emailed me and it was about, uh, uh, Malstrom Air Force Base, um, which is basically in my backyard or was, that's where I grew up just north of there and which controlled our ballistic missiles with that w- lots of nuclear warheads, uh, scattered between Great Falls, Montana and Canada, which I grew up right in the midst of that. And one of the things that, um, I tell people all the time and, uh, you know, being a kid who spent a lot of time outdoors, an incredible amount of time. And, uh, I'd, I'd seen so many incredible things that, you know, that I couldn't explain. And, and, um, one of those in particular in that you had mentioned, um, UFOs overhead and, uh, in that area. And when I was a kid, you know, we would sleep outside and I know people who listen to the show have heard me say this over and over and over again, but I tell them, you know, if you want to see UFOs come to, northern montana north central montana and um spend some time outside just looking straight up 
and um, you're going to see things. And my friends and I did all the time. So um, why did you write about Maelstrom Air Force Base and, and, and Minot Air Force Base? Uh, I wrote about them to make the point that uh, who would want to try and send us a message that our ICBM missiles, warheads, were, were that we shouldn't have them, <laughs> turn them off, show that somebody could control them, they could go badly out of control. Uh, they flew over and turned them off, turned them back on again. Uh, it has to do with the message on nuclear, perhaps on a, nu- a coming nuclear war, or at least on using nuclear warheads. Um, and at that time, which was, let's see, Maelstrom was um, 67, uh you know, we we didn't question it even as much as some of us do today. It was just that uh, there was the we'd had the the contest with the Soviet Union to build up the missiles. Just that old mindset of of war without thinking of the suffering, the casualties, and in this case, could contaminate the entire planet. Could uh, wipe out all life as we know it. There might be a, a, not even a cockroach, might be a, a, a microbe left behind. And such a unique planet, today we have a better idea of, of how unique Earth is as we look at exoplanets and telescopes. So many are interesting, but we have yet to find one that has all the wonderful coincidences that Earth has, from the right-sized satellite to the, the Goldilocks zone from the sun, just everything, and we just destroy it without or have that threat uh, and for the sake of war. <laughs> it's just terrible. And, and I want to add to that list, you know, we have the, the Van Allen belt. So why do you think that, uh, you know, did, did, did we just happen to get lucky and evolve in this an amazing place that, that takes such, such good care of us? Or is the future lending itself to modifying the planet for a better human race? Uh, why are we so lucky to be here? I, I don't know. I, we evolved here because Earth is so friendly to life that we, we had time to become sentient um uh as far as as what their world is like i don't know i mean i i could give an authoritative idea on it which i don't even really have and it wouldn't be then i'd be making myself one of those ufo experts that talk tells you what the zeta uh ambassador said last night i i don't i don't know i i'm not omniscient <laughs> On the topic, for all I know, these are a smaller group of survivors than the billions of people that are on Earth now uh, that maybe held on to advanced tech. Um, or maybe they actually got it right. Could, could we ever do that? And it's something like a Star Trek future with a, 
federation and a Starfleet, that would be wonderful. But uh, knowing us, I'm sure probably their world isn't, uh, not only they're, they're dealing with all that we left behind, which is really formidable. I mean, the climate change, um, how can a person even survive on Earth if the climate continues to go like it is and Antarctica is melting and maybe, you know, that'll stop and get turned around, but not without tremendous effort, which isn't even being made by leaders. So um, I don't know what, what they come from. Um, again, are they leisurely college students that have a field trip or are they tough? Uh, you know, the, the woman on my cover, I always kid that maybe she's artificial intelligence because she looks kind of tough. Like she's been through a lot. I mean, she's attractive, but I like the way, uh, Sebastian, the artist did her. Uh, she's, she's, uh, she's looking through eyes that have, have seen some things as they say. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what the world is like, what the earth is like. But it has advanced technology. I've had several guests on my on my show and and um, who have been involved with the United States Air Force. And I think I don't even know how I want to phrase this, but I think it's very fairly prevalent in the UFO community that the United States Air Force has interactions with some type of UFO and mm. their occupants. Do you have anything to add to that statement? Uh, no, I don't actually, because I, I don't have, uh, contacts in military, you know, it's mostly just what I read, like the, the Navy and the, the Nimitz and the Tic Tacs and all, but I, I don't really have anything to add to that. What about traveling back in time? You know, we talked about time travel and, um, you, you talked about, um, is it Jack, uh, Safadi, I just wanted to go back into that because he feels that, that, uh, he has a formula for a low, low power warp drive. And, um, uh -huh. and you just mentioned the Tic Tacs. Um, and that's evidence that, uh, travel in zero gravity bubble would provide some sort of key to the time travel as well as warp drive. Um, it's, it's, it's quite incredible that, that, you know, our armed forces are out there flying around and they're seeing these things. And, um, you know, do, I, I just wonder what this interaction would be. What would be the, what would be the purpose? Is it a demonstration? I, any ideas there? Well, uh, only to add to what you're saying in that, uh, the Tic Tacs must have, wh whoever it is, must have known that the Navy did these uh, maneuvers every year in the same place. So there were the Tic Tacs kind of waiting. Uh, and they didn't fire on the, the Navy jets. They didn't get out. They didn't hide from them. They didn't get out of the way or never be seen so that they never No, They showed up on radar. There was apparently a whole contingent of them on radar several times. Um, Obviously, I think they wanted to be seen. Uh, and when they engaged the Navy jets, to me, they acted like Tom Cruise and Top Gun. To me, that was very human of 
whatever is in the Tic Tac, even if it's an AI system, <laughs> uh, the, the zero ro- warp uh, or the zero gravity, Sarfati says, protects the pilot so that diving from 80,000 feet to 15 feet over the ocean, uh, doesn't ex- the G-forces don't explode one's head because of the zero gravity uh, bubble that is around the craft. Um, but um, uh, as far as what they were doing there, they seem, well, Dr. Uh, Knuth, or Knuth, I'm not sure if the K is pronounced. Kevin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kevin said perhaps the Tic Tacs were looking at uh, whales which were migrating and that uh, there was even a churning of the water and the Navy pilot said that uh, whatever this thing churning under the water was, it was the size of a, a 747 plane. Well, that's a whale. So, I mean, that could be a whale. And also that uh, similar craft have been reported along uh, whale migrations up by Oregon. So uh, perhaps, uh, and then some skeptical person said, well, maybe they were hunting the whales, <laughs> the Tic Tacs are hunting the whales. So that erases the Star Trek movie, the whale <laughs> But I don't, no, there's no, I think they would have been just observing, uh, maybe communicating with. I mean, you can take that very positively or very negatively. But uh, it seemed to me like they, uh, I know one of the uh, Navy pilots said he was chasing this thing and the next thing he knew it had hopped behind him. It was like who's ever got the most advanced technology wins and we're all hot dogs, you know. It was pilots, Navy pilots, military pilots. That was the psychology of how the Tic Tacs acted with our Navy pilots. And uh, I know uh, Flavor, the Navy pilot said, oh, do I want to fly one of those things? So uh, that's not proof, but it's kind of forensic-like profiling that perhaps the Tic Tac pilots have a human psychology. Um, That's just a guess. But uh, Dr. Sarfati's low power warp uh he's he's uh in his 80s he's 82 i think and uh, he was originally known as the hippie physicist back when uh, i know i loved the Tao of physics that came out uh in the 70s and the dancing uh what was it the dancing woo uh uh it was it was when New physics, quantum physics first burst on the scene and it had all these new age ideas like that which is being looked for is that which is doing the looking. And I remember all this from this this book that I loved, The Tao of Physics. Well, he was all part of that movement, but he's uh, become more conservative over time, uh, but he's always been a maverick physicist. He, he gets uh, private financing and um, you know uh, uh, somebody said he might have been the uh, the model for the uh, the guy what was his name the doctor in uh, Back to the Future <laughs> uh, yeah. he's, he's a character right. but 
he's also brilliant. And, or is he? I mean, you can't, if you're not a physicist, you don't have a clue. <laughs> but he's been very helpful to me. And I think it might take a special physicist to kind of leap beyond uh, and, you know, come up with this. So we've got the whole formula in the book and his interview, and he explains it. <laughs> People have an incredible experience, or let's say they meet an incredible person and attribute those talents to something or someone that isn't human because they have a hard time believing that humans are capable of that. Do you ever feel that we aren't giving ourselves enough credit for our own capabilities and we don't try to enhance those? That's the, in my final chapter, I uh, talk a lot about Star Trek. And that, as I say, that's really my, my first purpose in all this is to say that we have so much potential and for people to be so down and out about us and say, well, we're not going to make it into the future anyway. Uh, and then some of those people sort of leap to the fact of, well, I'll, I'll follow the, it's the ETs or my, that's, that's where I'm going to hop to. And other people say, well, there aren't any ETs either. This is just, uh, we don't deserve to go on. And this is among, you know, intelligent people. Um, we just have kind of lost that old, um, I, I think we need challenges to look outside ourselves. Uh, we've, we've looked inside quite a bit and we're all bickering and dickering on the least little thing, but I think exploration and discovery is part of our uniqueness and part of our, our great uh, ability, and we need to do that. Uh, even to risk astronauts, it doesn't have to always be just probes so that as somebody developed on Star Trek said, so that nobody need die in space. Well, uh, we need to think in terms of ourselves as a species. We're overpopulated on Earth. We're like a, a cancer on the face of Earth as far as for the good of the planet. And um, it's time for a whole new, now for something completely different, to quote Monty Python. And that's kind of my goal in the final chapter, to connect consciousness, the human consciousness. You know, when somebody looks into their ancestry, as is popular now, they might learn about uh, maybe their, their great aunt who went through the Irish famine, but she survived. She came to Ellis Island. And who's ever looking into it says, Oh, this has really inspired me. I'm going through a rough time, but look what she went through. She's my blood. She's my aunt. And uh, we we need to do that with our future. Uh, we all love our grandchildren. I happen not to have any, but figuratively, we all love our grandchildren. But we just have a blind spot as far as the future of our species. We don't think in terms of the human race in that sense. And uh, we're, we're too individual, I guess. But we need some inspiration and to start really moving forward. We can't hold back science, but we need to do it intelligently, the same toward AI. That could be a nightmare, but it could be great. 
if if we do it right for once. What about some of those uh, technologies and um, abilities that we we came equipped with? Um, there are some ex- or, uh, exceptions in our evolution that aren't really explained in some definite notable periods where humans have had some advanced technology and there's evidence of that. So was, is, has there been a period of, of with, to lack a better term, um, has there been a period of de-evolution or backward evolution and in the notion that our species have reverted to some point um, and maybe we're a little bit more primitive right now than we were maybe 2,500 years ago in Egypt? Does that make sense? It does make sense to me because I think um, I'm not uh, criticizing any religions of today, but I think the Dark Ages and uh, uh, religions and uh, the lust for power uh, of a few men and men, uh, women have been for many, many years have been considered more lowly in almost every culture. And, you know, that's missing half the potential of the human race and maybe more than half. <laughs> so women are, have a lot of potential. So, yes, it's been held back. And what has held us back is also what the powers that be worry about today with perhaps more than ET uh, disclosure worry about disclosure, disclosing uh, future humans in UFOs as visiting us uh, because when you think of it, after people get over the shock of that, many people would follow them. Uh, goodness, they must have the cure for cancer and so many diseases. Uh, they must have a, a better earth if they can do all these things. Maybe they do and don't or don't, but technologically and scientifically, they are advanced beyond us. People are so disgusted with leadership on Earth, a certain segment would gladly follow them, and there goes the power of the current uh, leadership at governments, churches. So they really kind of threaten that. And then if you get into the idea that perhaps, and this is one of the further out ones, well, not really, that they can come back to any time. So did they go back? In the book, I go into a chapter on the Greek gods. I just took one civilization. Were the Greek gods possibly sort of community organizers of a group of future humans? Um, I don't want to take away from the current human ability in any point in time, to make uh, great structures and great civilizations. Maybe we just did it all with, you know, with slaves and and inspiration. But what if a group came back and, okay, UFOs tend to hang around mountains. Uh, they, They set up on Mount Olympus inside or whatever they do with uh, around mountains. And uh, they became known to the Greek people. They would come down, and the Greek people talked about their Greek gods kind of like we talk about celebrities. They seemed to be very real. So if the Greek people just imagined (coughs) gods, 
it's it seems like it's more real than that. Uh, some of the stories, of course, are are brutal and far out. But I in the book I use the example of the conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton had the uh, uh, pedophile ring in the pizza parlor. <laughs> uh, well, that's like the Greeks talk to each other, and the stories got bigger and bigger and more and more terrible. We always do that. So there could have been a, a groups of community organizers that there are now because they're still going back to theirs. <clears throat> we're in the eternal now. They're going to those ancient civilizations, and if not building things literally, they are guiding civilization, trying to make, trying to shove along the civilization idea and bring us away from complete chaos. Again, not saying they're perfect. Uh, maybe they don't care about violence or whatnot, but generally in a positive direction. But then we hit the dark ages and uh, just many centuries of, and I guess maybe they didn't interfere in that. Maybe there was a, maybe there's a policy of inter, more interference back in the Greek days than there is to, you know, uh, shoot the Pope in 1100. Maybe you can't do that. You know, I don't know how much the prime directive <laughs> to use Star Trek is definitely in the mix here because otherwise the whole thing doesn't uh, make much sense. But I think there's a lot that they can't do. They probably have a, a, a book bigger than our tax, our income tax <laughs> uh, rules. That'd be, on, a, that'd be a big on, book. On the prime directive. It's very complicated. <laughs> very complicated. But I think it's varied at different times throughout the history of the world. So how can we nurture the talents that we hold, but maybe we're not na taking advantage of those or... Um, Maybe we're completely ignoring those talents. How can we enhance that and create a better um, world with, with basically our minds? Where do we start? Oh, I wish I had the answer to that. Um, you know, we've had spiritual messages for, for years, uh, and that, like the New Age, just kind of turned into... Uh, a giant meism of sweat lodges and on <clears throat> um, uh, you know uh, your special gemstone and all of that. Nothing so bad about that, but uh, you know I, I don't know. It may take the extreme threat of say climate change to finally knock some sense into us. Uh, maybe I know Churchill said uh, Americans always do what's right, but it's the last thing they try. Um, and so humans are that way too. Uh, we really need to, to be up against it before we finally get it right. Uh, we're too complacent. So I don't have an answer for you other than just trying to spread whatever message we feel we have to try and, and get through and disclosure um, may be coming in drips and, dra and dabs and drabs <laughs> in drips 
Um, to me, if we, if it was recognized that uh, it's future humans in the UFOs, at least to some degrees, that might uh, be a huge part of disclosure and sort of be a jolt to the human race. Um, but I don't have an answer, really. Uh, I guess each individual is a little different in how they set about trying to do something positive. You have two websites out there. Talk about those and where people find them and, and what's at those websites. Uh, my my good old big website is www.earthchangepredictions.com. <clears throat> and uh, it's uh, my webmaster says it's it's an old website and we can't add anything new to it or it might crash. But it's <laughs> a wonderful website. I get all sorts of compliments on it. It's got many pages, a lot to read, a lot of my, my writing. And um, so that's the main one. And then I've recently tried to make a website entitled Teen Time Travel. And my... My goal is just to kind of harness uh, people that do respond to the book. Probably uh, not too many people would really uh, want to sort of enter a, a be part of a group. Maybe there would be a lot, but not to let this this book go by without trying to connect to more people. As Mike and I were just saying in an email today, try and change the paradigm of the ET hypothesis, and uh, uh, but I'm not a web builder, so the new site, I jokingly say, looks like a single-wide mobile that's been decorated badly. <laughs> it's not, and it's not done either, but it's kind of interesting. So that's uh, teamtimetravel.com, and those are my two websites, and the book is available on Amazon Kimble, Kindle, and I think it's free right now on Kindle if you belong to a particular Kindle group or, you know, pay a major, uh, an overall fee for Kindle. I don't have Kindle, but anyway, it's on Amazon Kindle. Diane Tessman has been my guest, and the book is Future Humans and UFOs, Time for New Thinking. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. My Alien Life You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. Thank you.